We're so excited to have you with us today. Uh, we are overjoyed about the series that we are in. We are overjoyed about the month that we are in. Uh, we are in the middle of a faith series. And I believe personally, and I believe biblically, that the two cornerstones that uh, our, our faith, or that our, our experience with Jesus is found on is number one, faith, and number two, prayer. Uh, I believe that as a church, those are our cornerstones. And I believe that, quite frankly, just as the Christian faith, those are cornerstones that we lean on, that we depend on. Um, and that's that we have faith in Jesus Christ. And that's that we are our prayer. And those are two things that are going on right now, our faith series, which you're here for. And then we also have 21 days of prayer and fasting where we're meeting here at the church every uh, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. before work. People are coming in praying. We've had 30 to 40 people every single day. Um, in here in the sanctuary praying, and it's been awesome. And then Saturdays at 9 p.m., come out. It's amazing. Or 9 p.m., 9 a.m., thank you. 9 a.m., um, it's been awesome, and we would love to see you there uh, as well. It's been a great experience. For all you guys that have been showing up at 6 a.m., wouldn't you agree that it's something worth coming out to? Amen? So it's been awesome. So you want to come out, you want to be a part of that. It's going to be a great time. All right, guys, we're going to get ready to get right into the face. Get out your sermon notes if you have those with you. Get them on out, get them on out. And uh, quick joke, Billy Bob joke. You guys know how I roll, man. So uh, Billy Bob and his wife, Marie, were, uh, they were going out of town, and they went on a vacation. And when they went on vacation, they went to a certain town, and they had the penny wells. You guys know what a penny well is, right? So the penny well, they go out to the penny well, and so Billy Bob walks up to the guy that's kind of taking them around. He says, man, what's up with this here penny well? And so uh, he says, man, well, this is a penny well and a prayer well. So you walk up, you throw a penny in, you say a prayer, um, and then you just believe that it's going to come true. And Billy Bob says, well, that sounds like a plan. So him and Marie went and got them a couple of pennies, and they walk over, and Billy Bob goes first. So he says a little prayer, and he throws the penny in the well. And then Marie, she gets down, and she says a prayer. She throws the penny in the well, and she falls into the well. And Billy Bob says, my God, it works. So anyway, um, <laughs> Moving right along, right? Got to have faith. Got to have faith. Husbands, don't do that. Anyway, so, so we're excited to have you guys this morning. Let's get into it. We're going to be spending some of our time. Our opening scripture is going to be in 2 Corinthians. But before we do that, what I wanted to talk, excuse me, touch on is the idea, um, and if you're new to us or if this is your first time here, last week we spent a good amount of time talking about how that walking with Jesus is the most rewarding, amazing experience you can have of your life. However, that there are times in this journey that you walk with Jesus that you are literally looking up at the sky saying, what in the world are you doing up there? Right? And, uh, and in those moments, what we talked about last week is that the, the reality of our life on this earth is this, that our life means nothing outside of the context of the gospel. And what I mean by that is this, that when we go, our life here, once we meet Jesus, the sole purpose is to live life and tell people about him. That is why we exist once we meet Jesus. But in telling people about Jesus, how many guys know what people tell you means very little compared to what you show them? Right? So when we tell people about Jesus, they're tallying marks till the day comes that you go through something in your life. And in that moment, you have to cling to the same Jesus you were telling them to believe in when they were going through pain. It's like a millionaire walking up to you and just saying, man, just work hard. You'll have money. It's like easy for you to say, right? I've seen your house and your boat and your cars and your jet skis. Listen, I don't want to talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, 
We have to cling to Jesus in that moment. And in clinging to him, even in our pain, we show people the same Jesus we told them about. And that is huge in our faith. And so in that, we've been talking about uh, the difference. Uh, I wanted to kind of very briefly skim over the idea of Paul versus Joe. We talked about Paul a lot last week because Paul is who we would all strive to be in faith. Paul is the guy, he's put in prison for preaching the gospel. And then when he gets put in preaching prison for preaching the gospel. He preaches the gospel in prison and then the guards get saved and the people in prison get saved and everybody gets saved and the monkey's uncle gets saved and it's crazy in prison, right? So Paul is in there. And so what Paul is doing is he's like, listen, man, Paul's aspect on life was this. His outlook on life was like, listen, if you kill me, I'm going to heaven. If you leave me here, I'm preaching the gospel. So I can either tell people about Jesus or I can meet Jesus, but it doesn't really matter to me. So to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's Paul's whole MO throughout life, right? And so that's who I think a lot of us strive to be as we encounter circumstances in our life that we don't like or that we don't agree with. It's like, man, I want to be like Paul, where you can do what you want to me, but I'm going to live for Jesus. But a lot of us just kind of settle for Job. And what I mean by that is this. So Paul goes through all these things, but Job also has moments in his life of pain and agony and turmoil And so whereas Paul was like the victorious one, like it doesn't matter what you do, Job was kind of like the sulking one where he was just like, my life is terrible. I can't find God. Where are you? And I think a lot of us actually strive for Paul, but we end up like Job. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I want to be victorious, but I don't know what's going on anymore. And we might be victorious for one day, but then the next day we're like, God, where are you? Are you even around? Just like Job says, like, I look to the left, I look to the right, I look in front, I look behind, and I can't find God. And man, as much as we want to be Paul, where we're victorious in our faith, sometimes we settle for Job, where we're victims in our faith. And what I want to talk to you about today, guys, is persevering through faith, but not only doing that, persevering through faith because we know who God is, all right? So let's look at it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this, But he said to me that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He goes on to say that that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Because for when I am weak, that's when I am strong. Because it's not about our strength, it's, it's, not, or it's not about our strength and it's not about our abilities, but it's about Christ's ability within us to persevere through trials and through situations and through circumstances. And, and even in spite of not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, still recognizing that he's God. Amen. And so in doing that, we want to talk to you guys about five different kinds of faith that you have to have. In your notes, we're talking about five different kinds of faith that you have to have um, to recognize who God is in your life. Because I can tell you this, church, that as you recognize who God is and you recognize what God is capable of, that the reality of who your faith is really in, that your faith is not in your abilities, but your faith is in God's ability to take you in your weakness and make you strong, you will recognize that it's not about, it's, it's, It's not about how I walk out the journey. It's just walking out the journey, man, and trusting God in the process. So five different times of faith that you have to have. Number one is that we have to have a faith that honors God. We have to have a faith that honors God. What I mean by that is this. Matthew 8.10 says this, that when Jesus heard this, 
he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And the, the background story behind this is that there was a moment where a, a man comes to Jesus and his servant was sick. And so he comes before Jesus and he says, Jesus, I need you to heal my servant, he's sick. And Jesus is like, okay, let me come to your house and heal the servant. And the guy says this, I don't need you, or I don't, I'm not worthy for you to step under my roof, right? But up until this point, every healing that Jesus had done, he had touched. He had physically gone in and touched the person and created contact. But this dude comes in, he's like, listen, Jesus, you don't even need to come in my house. If you'll just speak the words, he could be healed. And so Jesus in that moment is like, I've never seen anyone with this kind of faith. And guys, if we want faith that's going to move mountains, like metaphorically, you know, if we want faith that's going to overcome our circumstances, overcome our situations, if we want faith that's going to allow us to not get engulfed in our problems, but see God helping us overcome our problems, it has to be the kind of faith that honors who God is and what he's capable of. That's real faith. That we have to have faith that honors God. Number two, we have to have faith that hears God. We have to have faith that hears God. Romans 10, 17 says this, that consequently faith comes from, the, uh, from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so some translations say that uh, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. And so what we have to do, church, is that we have to get into a place where our faith is both encouraged and built on the word of God that is alive inside of us. But it's not just about reading your word. The Bible is very clear that there's two different representations of the word in our life. One is a, a logos word. And there's, a, there's a, a written word, a word that you read. And how many guys know there are times that you, how many of y'all have ever had that moment you open the Bible and you read it and it might as well be a TV guide, right? right? Oh, sorry, young people. A TV guide is this thing we used to have where you could tell what show was coming on next because it was all written out for you. This is pre-Google, so anyways. But how many of you guys have had that moment where you're reading the Bible and it's not coming alive? Like, there's no, like, oh, this is awesome. Like, it's just like, yeah, and Ezra said, like, you know what I mean? It's just, it's not alive to you. But then there are those moments and there are those times where you read the word, man, and it becomes like this burning thing inside you. Romans 5, still, a year after I, like, did a full study on Romans 5, still burns in my, like, in my spirit because it is so powerful to me that we are justified by grace through faith alone in Jesus. And the very idea behind that completely blows my mind that even while we were yet sinners, and we're going to look at that in a second, but that it has to be an idea. So there's a, a written word, a word that we read, but then there's a word that comes alive to us when we realize what God was saying to us in that moment, that a rhema word is in our spirit and we actually digest it and it becomes a part of us. And that's how, man, I've got four or five verses that I've never had something so much alive to me as I've had alive during these moments of affliction in our family. And for some of you that are guests, you're like, what in the world are you talking about? My son, who has been diagnosed with a, uh, a brain disease who they say, um, is, they say is fatal, but we're believing God is going to heal him of that. Uh, but, but in those moments, guys, I can tell you, there are times when I have to, there are times I'm reading the word and I'm getting nothing, but I stand on those words that burn inside of me that I'm believing God is going to do something supernatural and amazing in our family. Amen. And you have to find places 
in your life where you stand on word, not just what you've read, but what's alive to you, what you know to be the truth in your life. So we have to have faith that hears God, but in hearing God, let me also tell you this, that hearing God comes from knowing God's voice and you can't know God's voice if you don't talk to him frequently. And when I, talk, when I say talking frequently, I'm not talking about asking him for things frequently. I'm talking about talking with him frequently. That we have to have a prayer life that enables us to know God's voice. People come to us all the time. How do I know if it's God speaking to me or if it's pepperoni pizza from the night before? Like I get those two cross all the time. And my response to them is, is, you know God's voice when you talk to God enough. And the idea is this, you could turn every light off in this room and my dad could walk through that back door back there and he could say my name and I would, I would know instantly who it is because we have a relationship between a father and a son. In church, you have to have a relationship between a father and a child to when God speaks, you know his voice. But that's not going to happen if your prayer life consists of, God, could you give me this? God, could you give me that? God, could you make a way? God, could you do this? And a whole bunch of gimme requests, but you actually have to spend time with him. I think that's one of the reasons why the 6 a.m. prayers have been so awesome here, because a lot of times you hear people just talking to Jesus and crying out, and then a lot of times it's like a hush gets in the room, and people are just like, trying to listen to what the Lord is saying to them. And that, to me, is so powerful because we have to have faith that hears God. Number three is you have to have faith that humbles yourself. Faith that humbles yourself. Romans 5, 6, and 8, one of my favorites, says that you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that has to bring in, like that has to swoop in this amazing amount of humility that while we were in our pit, while we were in our mess, while we were in our sin and we were filthy and we were nasty and we were everything that God is not, God still sent his son to die for us in those moments. And that better bring some humility into your life of all the things that you're not. Right? That Christ died for us while we were so sinners. Psalms 18.35 says, You make your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. And one of the other translations says that you stoop down to make me great. What that means is that God comes down to our level. In other words, we have to get out of this idea that we somehow have the universe rotating around our desires and our needs and start recognizing that everything we have going on in our life is centered upon who Jesus is and what his plan requires us to go through so that the gospel can go forward. And we recognize that everything I encounter today, whether it's a blessing, whether it's a struggle, whether it's a hurt, whether it's a pain, is all built around the idea that Jesus is going to be glorified in the end. Which brings a whole new level to choose me, right? But we have to recognize that God is going to humble us, but we have to have faith that humbles ourselves. That's why I think one of the, 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 the painful ideas, even behind the LGBT movement, is their, their word is pride. But the word says in some translations that God rejects the proud, but gives grace, gives favor to the humble. Like we have to find ourselves at the feet of Jesus saying, look, I'm nothing without you, but I'm everything with you. And recognize that because of that, we're overcomers. So faith that humbles yourself. And then number four, we have to have faith that hates sin. And some, some, 
I went back and word on, forth on this word hate, but I think it's applicable. And I'm just young, so I can say that. But if, if, if it makes you feel better, you can write reject sin. But faith that hates sin, faith that rejects sin. See, Acts 26, 18 says this, that to open our eye, or to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That we have to turn from darkness to light. And even that's the, the reality of Isaiah 5, where it says that they started to call evil good and good evil. Church, we have to separate our mentality from the culture. I don't care how politically correct it is to say that something's okay. If the word says it's not, it's not. And we have to come to that realization that God's word goes above our preferences, that God's truth goes above our lies, and that God's reality supersedes our preference to know that what he says is true is true, and what he says is required is required. That we can't call evil good and good evil. We have to settle in on that. And then number five is that faith that has power. We have to have faith that has power. First John 5, 4 says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, which is our faith. We have to understand that the victory, that what we have in the belief in Jesus Christ and his ability is the faith that we have that is victorious over the world. What I mean by that is this, that our faith in Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins, that in his perfection died and became imperfection so that in our imperfection, we could be resurrected into perfection. I know that was big for some of you guys. Rewind that God in his perfection, God in his ultimate supreme being died and became imperfection. He became sin so that we who were sin could become perfection. We could become without sin. In other words, our faith is alive. Our faith has power because our faith is centered on the very one who not only died for us, he accomplished more than death on the cross, friends. He accomplished more than eternity for us on the cross. He accomplished the ability for us who were dead in sin, who were filthy in sin, who were lost in sin and going to hell, that through repentance and a life after Jesus Christ could be resurrected, that his resurrection gave the opportunity for our resurrection. And I was talking with someone the other day, they were asking, they said, well, I don't really feel like I do that many things wrong. I'm like, okay, so do I need Jesus? I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, right? Like, <laughs> yes. They're like, well, I don't understand because I do right things. I do good things. I'm like, great, keep doing those but you still need Jesus. Yeah, but where in the Bible? And I was like, yo, you gotta check out Romans 5, 14. That where Paul even writes that even he who has not broken the law requires grace. Yes, amen. That you can be as good as you want to, but if you're not following Jesus, you're on the highway to hell, friend. That we all have to come humbly before the throne and put faith in the idea that a Jesus who was perfect died and became imperfection so that in our imperfection, we could be seen as perfect, as children of God. And that all comes from the idea, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 says this, that I know how great this makes you feel. Even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. I like, man, 
I don't know why that stands out to me, but it just does. Even though they have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime, pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved pure. Genuine faith put through this kind of suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. My question to you, church, is if your faith is what God's going to have on display in the museums of heaven, how big is your display case going to be? How much faith do you have in what God is more than capable of? How much faith are we putting in God as we walk out this journey? How much faith do we have in what God is going to do because our faith is the evidence of his victory? and who he is, that our faith has to have power. And it talked about uh, gold and, and, and the purification process of gold and of silver. And how many of you guys know that to, to purify gold, to purify silver, they have to literally put it into fire. And as it melts down, the impurities come to the top and then they scrape it off the top and what they have left is pure. And some of us have been cl- complaining because we've been placed into the heat of the fire of life. We've been pla- in, placed into the fire of situations and we've been placed into circumstances that we don't like. And as life heats up and as the pain gets real because it's getting hot around us, we're complaining about the idea that God is allowing circumstances to come into our life to purify purify our hearts but it doesn't make the fire any less hot and when they scrape off the top it doesn't make it any less painful church when you're going through it you have to recognize that this is God accomplishing something and I'll be honest with you I'm preaching it but I don't like it let that sink in there's been plenty of times man I'm standing in my backyard like hello what are you doing up there? Like, have you forgotten about little old me down here? You know, like, there are times and moments where I'm like that, but I recognize that he's still all-powerful, and he's completely able. And so when gold is being proven pure, one of my favorite parts, there's a story about a lady who goes to, and she's, he's talking to a silver purifier. And as the person's purifying the silver, in that moment, uh, the lady says, well, how do you know when the silver is at its purest point? How do you know when it's ready? How do you know when it's pure? And the guy says that the purifier knows the silver is at its most pure point when he can see his reflection in it. And church, if Jesus is our purifier, we're ready to be taken out of the fire when Jesus sees his reflection in us. That it gets hot, but he's doing it with a purpose. All right, guys. So then there's three attributes or three uh, things that God, there's three attributes of God, three characteristics of God that he has that when we grab full understanding, when we come to the reality of these three characteristics of God and the three attributes of God, that once they sink in and we understand the wholeness and the fullness that rests within these three ideas, that our faith is increased and we can have faith not in what God does, but faith in who God is. The first one is that he is an omniscient God. He's an omniscient God. What I mean by that is, is that God's omniscience, that he's all knowing that he knows everything that's going to happen to us, everything that has happened to us. He's fully aware of your circumstances. He's fully aware of what you're going through. And so it takes away the whole idea of like, God, have you forgotten about me? 
How many of you guys would honestly be like, man, there's been a moment, not, I'm talking recently, (laughs) within the last couple weeks where you're like, are you even up there? Like, have you even, do you even hear me right now? And we have to understand that God is omniscient. Matthew 6, 4 says, so that your giving may be in secret, but that is the first half. The last half, then your father who sees what is done in secret, some translations say, so your father who knows all things that are done, will reward you. In other words, God sees everything because he knows everything. He's an omniscient God. John 2, 19 through 22 says this, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Then they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And so when Jesus is saying that he's gonna, after, his, after he died on the cross, he was gonna rebuild the temple in three days is, is the context for that scripture. But what I want you to understand is there are so many scriptures in the Bible where God makes references to his ability to know everything. And in his ability to know everything, we have to rest in our inability to know anything and recognize that we are surrendering our knowledge to his knowledge and trusting him. Remember church, last week we said the two things that are detrimental to the Christian faith is that we believe that God is good, but he is not all powerful or that we believe that he is all powerful, but he is not good, but he is in fact both all powerful, all knowing, and he is good. Then number two, he is an omnipresent God, an omnipresent God, which means that he is everywhere that he is all around. And so, and if you remember in uh, John 21, uh, after Jesus was crucified on the cross uh, and then he resurrected, Jesus goes through this time. And listen, man, I like to think of Jesus this way. I don't know how you read your Bible. This is how I read my Bible. So you can take it or you can leave it, but I just like to have fun with it. But Jesus goes through this time frame after the resurrection where he would like randomly pop through walls and stuff. Read the book. There's crazy stuff in this book. You need to read it. I'm telling you. So like Jesus, they're all like all some of the disciples are sitting around eating dinner at the table and Jesus just comes, bam, popping through the wall. Now, could he have used the door? Sure. But where's the fun in that, right? So Jesus comes busting through the wall, just makes himself visible. And I could see like John or one of them like eating at the table, a piece of bread, like, man, would you stop it? You know, like just popping up randomly. And so in those moments, Jesus pops up and like they're on the shore, you know, like they're out fishing and Jesus is just like, bam, you know, I like to think of him like in a Shazam outfit with like smoke. Anyway, that's not the point. So, but Jesus just like pops up. So he's there and he's not there and he pops up. And what he was trying to do is help the disciples understand that because the disciples had walked with Jesus and they drew their power from knowing that they were with Jesus. I remember uh, getting into trouble in my younger years but when I got in trouble, I was never that worried about it because I knew the guys standing behind me were really strong and really big and really dangerous, if that makes sense. And so because of that, I wasn't scared of anything. And so the disciples, you can imagine, were the same way when it comes down to like casting out demons or doing whatever. Like they're like, we have power. And if we're not strong enough, Jesus is right behind us. So we're good with that too. But what Jesus was doing in his you know, Shazam moments is that he was trying to help them understand that they were going to have to rely on him to the same magnitude in his invisibility as they did in his visibility. That they were gonna have to tap into the power of Jesus when they couldn't see him the same way they tapped into the power of Jesus when he was there. 
And in our life, church, we have got to come to the recollection and the idea that God is everywhere. And so many times, and we talked about this last week briefly, when I gave you guys a snippet of today, where we're sitting on the couch and we're sitting there going, God, you're nowhere to be found and, the, and Satan is just killing me right now. Anyone ever had that conversation? You can be honest, right? Like, man, Satan is killing me right now and God, you're nowhere. And the idea that we've taken an attribute, we've taken a characteristic of God and we've assigned it to the devil who doesn't have it. Listen, church, Satan, the enemy, the devil can't be anywhere more than one place at one time. That is an attribute that belongs to God only. So sometimes we surrender this idea over to the enemy that he can be everywhere. Well, if he's at Pastor Ryan's house, he's not at my house. And if he's at my house, he's not at your house. That he can only be in one place at one time. But God is everywhere always. And what that means is that whatever you're going through in your life, could the enemy have caused it? Sure. Does he have principalities in darkness? Sure. Does he have the ability to mess things up? Sure. But what you have to realize is in God's omnipresence, in his ability to be everywhere, that in that rests the idea that even in Job's circumstance, when the enemy, got, Satan presents himself before God and God's like, what are you doing? He's like, man, I've been going all over the world trying to find somebody to, uh, in the earth that I could tempt. And God's like, have you considered my servant Job? I'm sitting here like, God, would you stop considering me? Like, just stop considering me. I'm good right now. I've had enough consideration. I'm good, right? And I know some of y'all feel the same way, like enough with the considerations, I appreciate it, but, and that's where we find ourselves. But what we have to recognize is nothing happens to you without God allowing it. What we can't do is become angry with God thinking he caused it. In other words, the enemy has power, friends, and he can cause something, but he can't cause something that God doesn't allow. And God doesn't allow anything that he won't ultimately be glorified in. Joseph in a pit in that moment, I can promise you, he was trying to figure that one out. God, I don't see what you're doing with this. Then he becomes second in command of Pharaoh, right? And he in turn blesses his brothers who sold him into slavery. But in that moment, when he could only read that page that he was on of his life, he couldn't see the chapters ahead. I can promise you, he was like, where are you? And we have to remember that just because we're in the pit doesn't mean we're not going to be in the palace tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. God's plan always reigns supreme. Absolutely. So we have to recognize that because God is omnipresent and that he's everywhere, he's like a teacher giving a test. When a teacher gives a test, you feel like you're by yourself, right? Because the teacher is not talking. It's all about what you know up until now. We want to know what you've experienced and what you know up until now. Can I tell you something, church? That in your life, there are going to be moments, and some of you are in them right now, where God is the teacher giving the test. And although you, he stops speaking during the test, don't forget, church, that he hasn't left the room. Amen. So cling to that, all right? Number three, he is an omnipotent God. He's an omnipotent God. And what that means is that he is all-powerful, that he holds all the power. Mark 9, 23 through 24 says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And you guys have heard it. We talked about this last week. Man, this is like my, this is my scripture for my moment in life right now. 
that a, a guy, and I think maybe because of the correlation, but a guy brings his sick son to Jesus, who's actually demon-possessed. He brings his sick son to Jesus, and he's like, Jesus, can you heal him? And again, I know this is just me, but I like to think of Jesus this way. He's like, can I? Pfft, I'm Jesus, fool. You know, like that's, that, that's, again, that's just how I read my Bible. But anyway, so he's like, can I? Anything is possible for those who believe. In other words, like, why are you even asking? And we have to come to the idea that we have to have faith in the, the power of God and what he's fully capable of. So these people are bringing people in front of Jesus. Can you do this? Jesus is like, can I? Anything is possible to those that believe. And we have to come to the realization that Jesus is more than capable to meet our need, more than able to overcome our situations, and more than powerful to completely destroy the circumstances that are in front of us once he has accomplished what he's accomplishing through our life. Sometimes you're going through what you're going through, and it has nothing to do with you. Let that sink in. You're going through what you're going through so that someone else will find the glory and power of Jesus Christ. But at the end, it's going to be worth it. But in the meantime, you're right. This is garbage. So anyway, so Genesis 18:14 says this. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And again, like I just like to think God this way. Like, yo, is there anything too hard for me? Chill. That's just how he talks to me. You guys need to have more fun with your Bible, apparently, because y'all are... I need to write the BLV, right? The Brad Livingston version. So we... But we have to... No. But we need to find ourselves in a place that we recognize, man, that God is powerful, fully capable. And I, we, we did a whole sermon on this particular topic but I just want to drop the nugget in for you today that we have to recognize that where man or where the world or where your doctor or where your boss or where your banker puts a period, God puts a comma. That he knows his grammar. And what I mean by that is this. When we sit down, we sat down with, when Tommy got in his motorcycle wreck actually, I remember sitting across from the doctor and the doctor said, he's not gonna make it through the night, he's going to die, period. And I was like, in my spirit, I was like, man, you don't have the last word on this. Like, you're not in control. And God dropped that in my spirit, man, a message from Pat Shatzlein where he says that where man puts a period, God puts a comma, which means it's followed with a conjunction, which means there's more to come. So that when I sit across from the doctor and the doctor says, your son is going to die, period, that God swoops in and he says, I'm going to erase that period. Let me put a comma, but I am the healer. I am alpha and omega. And in your circumstances where your boss comes in and says, you're going to be fired. And then your friends say, you're going to be homeless, period. God swoops in and says, but I will supply all of your needs. And whenever you comes in and he says, 
that you're gonna you're getting a pink slip or something's going wrong or that the doctor gives you a bad report and he's, everyone's dropping periods and you feel like it's the end and you feel like there is no hope and you feel like you can't get around another corner because you feel like you've run out of information and that there's no way God's getting you out of this one. Remember, he doesn't need your permission to change your circumstances and he doesn't need anyone else's permission that when people put a period, God can put a comma, which means there's more to come and it's not the end. So he is Alpha and he is Omega. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. He has the ability to step in. When we don't understand and the world says that it's over, God says, now I can get started. And I'll tell you this, church, this thing with our son, there have been moments where I've surrendered and I've been like, God, I just think that it's over. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing with that whole, like, what are you doing thing? But where our doctor puts a period, God says, comma, but, right, by his stripes, we are healed. Bow your heads, church. Because some of us are in that place right now. For some of you, it might be a sickness. And some of you, it might be, I don't know, you get a pink slip at work or you, you, finances are all out of whack or, man, life's just spinning out of control and you can't get the reins on them. You feel like, you, you, I mean, like this whole sermon is kind of like hitting you in the face. Like, man, I've been sitting on my couch with my arms in the air repeatedly lately. Like, God, where are you? but you want God to give you faith. You see those the three attributes of God, his knowledge, his omnipresence, his being everywhere and his power all point to the idea that we can have faith in his ability, even though he's invincible right now. We can't see him, but he's powerful church. And some of you need faith. I mean, we won't call it anything else. You're like, man, I just need faith. Just like the, the father. You're like, all right, God, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. I need some more faith in life right now where we are. You say, church, I, you're saying, pastor, I need faith. I need an increase. I need to see God. Would you just raise your hand right now? You think hands going up all over the room. I need faith, man. That God's gonna help me out. In this time and in this moment, I want to pray for you. Father, we just speak to every person in this room, God, who's the trials and the, the circumstances are just overwhelming. God, in, in quiet times, we're crying out to you saying, Lord, we need to see you, God. I pray that you strengthen them, Lord. You give them faith. You give us faith. That even though we don't know how you're going to do it, God, we know you can do it and we know you will do it. God, and we pray that when you do it, you get the glory and that people will find you because of it. Because of our pain and our struggle, people will come to know Jesus. Touch us, Lord. Give us faith. In Jesus' name. Keep your eyes closed for just a moment. Some of you may be in here and you're like, man, I, you're hitting me in every place that I am. But to be honest with you, I don't know Jesus. Like I know about him, but my life doesn't belong to him. And I'm telling you right now, church, that you can have as much faith as you want, but if you're not walking with Jesus, that really takes the rock out from under you. 
that you can stand on when the waves get heavy. You don't know Jesus today, even on live stream, you're watching, you don't know Jesus, but you want to know him today. If you say, I don't know Jesus, he's not the ruler of my life, but I want him to take control. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want Jesus to take control of my life. I wanna to surrender to him. God bless you. God bless you. Even on live stream, guys that are watching, here's what we wanna do, church. We're all gonna pray this prayer, and if you pray it, you're saved. Say, dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for resurrecting. Forgive me. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Make me pure. Make me whole. I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, put your hands together for all those that prayed. Come on for the very first time. Even on live stream, we celebrate with you. Thank you so much.